morning. Welcome to Journey. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, 4th of July week, so happy uh, 4th of July. Uh, I realize God likes fireworks. That's why we got a little rain today. It's just getting everything so it doesn't start on fire this week as you're blowing stuff up. So happy 4th of July. Well, maybe you have a, a son or a daughter like mine who has become addicted, maybe a little over-the-top crazy about a game called Fortnite. Well, I've got a son who's 14, and he absolutely loves it. And at Christmas time, he used his own money to go buy a PS4 uh, because it had this ability to play this game, Fortnite. So I wasn't very familiar with it. He started playing it, and then school started up. He finally you know, came back to life after playing a little bit. And he came downstairs for school. Let's see if I can get the tone right, because when he's awake, he's really not awake for a while. Uh, he's like, hey, Dad, I got some dubs last night. What? Hey, hey, Dad, I got some dubs last night. I'm thinking to myself, do you, you need some Pepto? You need some Gas X? Like, what, what, do you, you get, what happened last night? He's, so what are you talking about? He's like, I got some dubs last night. I got some wins. I got some wins in Fortnite, and I've come to realize that that means you're the winner. You were the champ. You were the last one in the game. You got the victory. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about spiritual victory. I want to talk to you about getting some spiritual dubs. So maybe that's why you're here. I can tell you that a lot of the reasons I came to church when I uh, first gave my life to Christ and as I was growing is because I would come to church so many times and I needed some spiritual victory in my life. I was struggling with things and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for some spiritual victory in some different areas of your life. Maybe you're here and you need some wins in your marriage. Maybe you're here and you need some wins in your family. You've got some situations with your kids. You've got some situations with your finances. You need some wins in your finances. Maybe you need to figure out how to get some dubs today. And that's why you're sitting here saying, please, God, feed me, help me. I need some spiritual victory in my life. Well, 3,500 years ago, the nation of Israel was looking for a dub. They were looking for a win. And once again, God delivered them. God brought them a judge. And today I want to introduce you to the next judge in our series uh, who led Israel to a significant victory. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. Uh, you should have got some sermon notes on the way in. Put those on your lap. You want to take some notes. Or on the JCI app, you can click on the link and you'll see sermon notes there. But we're in the middle of a series called Judges, Heroes of the Faith. We've been studying all the judges of Israel. And of course, just to quickly fly through them, right? We looked at Othniel, the first judge of Israel. He was the son-in-law of Caleb. He delivered Israel in the time of uh, when they had pulled away from, from God. And then Ehud, he was the second judge of Israel. He was the left-handed guy. I'm a lefty myself. So if he was a boxer, he would have been the left-handed. He would have been the Southpaw savior. He, uh, of course, I love the message Pastor Christian brought on Father's Day about Ehud and just challenging the spiritual influencers of our life to step up and lead. We didn't study the third one, Shamgar. There's just a brief statement about Shamgar. And then last week, Brian Beloy stepping in for Pastor Christian uh, shared about Gideon. And I love the story of Gideon, right? I love to hear how with just 300 men, God used them to destroy the people who were overcoming them. And then again, now we see that Israel is drifting away. Imagine that through this study, Israel is drifting away from God again. And so in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. And we saw this in week one, Pastor Christian introduced us to this spiritual spin cycle, right? This spin cycle that happened. 
Israel would be directed by God to live a certain way to honor him. But then they decided, like us at times, to kind of do life on their own, to live the way they wanted to live. And they would drift from God, usually under maybe some weak or lack of leadership. Then Israel would uh, experience difficulty. God said, you follow me, I'll take care of you. But if you drift away, things are going to happen. And that's what would happen. And then Israel would cry out. They would demand help. And then Israel would be delivered by God. You just saw this spin cycle, and it continues to happen in the life until God would send a judge to deliver them. Now, remember, when we left Ehud, uh, they had experienced two generations, uh, were 80 years, two generations of people of peace because of the leadership of Ehud. Because of his strong leadership for a significant time afterwards, people were following God. But then, of course, he dies and people begin to fall away. And I don't know if you have experienced that, but I've seen that in life. When there's strong leadership, people tend to follow, right? When things are going well, it's usually because someone is helping to lead them. I I thought about, I read an article about, you know, Tim Tebow. You can think what you think about whether this is a fluke in baseball or not. That doesn't matter. I guarantee you that that dugout is stronger when he's there. I just thought about the influence he's able to have over these young people. And my thought is perhaps when he's not, what will, what will happen in, in the midst of that? I just thought he's probably bringing some strong leadership to that dugout. Well, how bad was it when Israel begun, uh, began to spin away from God again? Well, it tells us in Judges chapter 4, 2 through 5. It says, So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. You actually can go to Hazor. They have dug it up in Israel. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Heresheth Hagoim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidith, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So we're introduced to the fourth judge of Israel, and it's a woman, and her name is Deborah. Well, I grew up in the age of Judge Wapner. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the age of Judge Wapner in the people's court, And until 1993, he was the man, right? He was deciding these small claims uh, court cases, and everybody was mesmerized. They were tuning in to the people's court. And then he retired in 1993, and there's kind of a lull in the action. There wasn't anyone uh, to take over people's court. And then another network actually started Judge Judy. And now Judge Judy has stepped in to fill the shoes, and she has done an amazing job. She's become the star of daytime television when it comes to these court cases she looks at. What's interesting, her husband actually tried to step into the people's court in 1999, and he didn't last long. He only lasted about 18 months, and then he was out because all of the people were watching Judge Judy. So for 22 years, because if you've watched her, she's got this no-fear no nonsense, just common sense way of litigating these cases. She lays it on the line and she leads strong. And we see Judge Judy really doing a great job. Her show has been literally one of the highest daytime ratings of all time. People are tuning in to watch Judge Judy. But before there was Judge Judy, there was Judge Deborah. And Deborah was this unlikely hero 
that God used to deliver the nation of Israel. So did you happen to see all of the things that her roles were? Did you happen to catch all of her responsibilities as I read them? Deborah was a wife, tough job. Deborah was the leader of a nation, extremely tough job. Deborah was a judge, right? She handled the disputes. People would say, hey, so-and-so stole my goat. What are you going to do about it? Hey, I got some chickens missing. What are you going to do about it? We've got these land disputes. So-and-so is on my property. She would handle these things as the judge of Israel. And then Deborah was a prophet, which meant that she was the mouthpiece of God in her day. God would speak to her heart about something, and she would deliver the message to the people that God wanted them to hear. You thought your plate was full. She had a lot going on. Deborah had a lot happening in her life. She was a great woman, and she inspired a nation. Here we see it again in 6 through 9. So she sent for Barak. There's a lot of different ways you can pronounce this. Barak, Barak. Uh, the leading one was Barak, so I'm going with Barak. She sent for Barak, son of uh, Abinom from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Well, I like to cook. I enjoyed cooking class in school. I actually took it in middle school and high school. And the reason why? Because you get to eat. Like, who would not want to take a class where at the end of the day you get to eat? So I took cooking class, and I learned something along the way. I learned that it's important to follow the recipe. If you don't follow the recipe, things don't turn out. Ask my kids. I tend to throw some things together sometimes, and they'll kind of be like, what's in here, Dad? Well, I may have substituted some things. I uh, looked down at the first service, and Hannah was smiling at me. My kids now are smiling like, yeah, Dad, you have some creations that are not that good. Because every once in a while, like, I think we're having spaghetti, but did you throw the leftover taco meat in here? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you don't want that to go to waste. I mean, so I may create my own things by substituting a few things, and they don't always go well. Maybe you've experiment, experimented with that. You know that you ran out of something and thought, well, maybe this will be okay in there. And you don't tell anybody, and you can just tell on their faces that they know something is amiss with the chocolate chip cookies. So we, we know that as we look at this narrative, this narrative of Deborah, we can learn three key ingredients in this recipe for spiritual victory. And there are three individuals in the narrative that they possess a quality. They possessed an ingredient that brought victory to Israel. And so, and I really believe that if we'll possess these qualities, I believe that if we'll begin uh, to, to possess these things and exude these things, we can experience some spiritual dubs. So we're going to look at a recipe for spiritual victory this morning. It all begins with the leadership of Deborah. So the first ingredient in spiritual victory is the faith filled vision of Deborah. Did you see it again in 4, 6, and 7? It says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, 
and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. So let's, let's take a look at what Israel's current reality was before she said this. They drifted from God. They'd been oppressed by the Canaanites under the leadership of Sisera. History tells us this is an evil man. This is a man who loved to punish and make the Israelites suffer. And then the Canaanite army severely outnumbered Israel. And they had, they had these iron chariots, which basically were biblical tanks. They had these iron chariots, which in biblical times were like tanks. So the odds were against them. The odds didn't look good at all for the people of Israel that they'd ever get out from under the pain and the suffering they were experiencing from Canaan. And so as I thought about this, I thought, what are the areas in your life? Like, what are the areas in your life today that you felt like the odds are against you, that you've got this Canaanite army with iron chariots? What is it for you? Is it constant friction in your marriage that you feel like is always stacking up against you? You're not going to be able to break it. Maybe it's some addictions that you just can't shake and you can't figure out how to overcome this Canaanite army. Maybe it's you've got a a group of friends and you love them. They're great. But you know, whenever you're around them, they bring you down spiritually. They literally cause you to stumble. Maybe you've got continual financial struggles where you're just not sure as an individual or as a couple how you're ever going to break through. And maybe you've got some temptations that are just stacking up against you and you don't know how you'll ever overcome them. You see, God gave Deborah a vision. And it was extremely different than Israel's current reality. It was for victory. It was for victory over the enemy. It was for something new. It was a new day for these people that they could have victory over this evil man, Sisera, and the Canaanite army. And so there's a reality that I think is very clear, and I want you to remember this. Without a vision of what can be, we're always going to be stuck in the reality of what is. Did you hear that? Without a vision of what can be, we'll always be stuck in the reality of what is. And if we're, if we're ever going to experience spiritual victory, we need a vision that's greater than our current reality that we're stuck in. So what do you, what do you need a, a bigger vision for this morning? As you sit here coming today for spiritual victory, what do you need a bigger vision for? Again, is it to, for finding a fulfilling career so that you can have what, what you feel is lacking, a fulfilling purpose in your life? This vision for a better marriage. I know I've talked with people and they're kind of stuck in this rut thinking it'll never be better in our marriage so we're not going to fight. We're not going to do anything to try to get out of it. Do you need a bigger vision for what God has for your marriage? Maybe it's bigger dreams for your kids, breathing spiritual life into them. Maybe it's more influence for Jesus. I, I've talked with people over the years and they're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm just a regular person. I'm never going to do anything for God. Like God's never going to be able to use me. You need a bigger vision for your life than what may seem like a reality, which may, you may think, well, no, this is just who I am. I'm never going to be able to do anything for God. I don't believe that. Proverbs 29, 18, I love it in the King James. It says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Have you ever tried to put together a puzzle? Just kind of dump it out. 500, 1,000 pieces, and someone says, hey, let's give it a try without the box. Like, really? Have you ever tried to, to, to put this thing together without the box? Some of you are literally trying to put uh, the pieces together in your life without seeing this full picture of what God has for you. Like, have you seen the full picture of what God has for you? 
You know, I don't always know how God's going to pull things together. My wife and I have conversations, and we don't always know how God's going to help meet this need, or we don't always know how this is going to work out. But I know this, I trust that God has a plan for our life. I know he has a plan for us, for his purposes. I, I know he has a plan to meet our needs. Why do I trust that plan? Because I've read his word. I've read his word over and over as I'm in it. It's, it's reminding me that he has a plan for our lives. It's reminding me that he's going to take care of our needs. It's reminding me that he wants us to have peace in the middle of like, hey, how are we going to make it through this? I don't know, but God tells us he's going to give us peace. Like, how are we ever going to make that work? I'm not sure, but God says he'll provide for us. How are we ever going to make that work? But I'm not sure, but I trust that God knows. Do you have that kind of trust? Do you believe that? Do you have that kind of faith-filled vision for your life that you know God has something for you? You need a bigger vision for your life. And the source of Deborah's vision wasn't just something mystical. It was her faith in God. Her faith in God is what gave her this great strength, what allowed her to be this leader worth following. And so the ingredient number one is this faith-filled vision that Deborah had. And the second ingredient in the recipe for spiritual victory is the trusting dependence of Barak. Judges 4, 8 says, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. And so there's this old adage, maybe you've heard it before, behind every good man is a great woman. And that's exactly the case in this story. And sometimes pastors will preach it like this. They'll say like, hey, this is a story of a great, great woman stepping in the place of a weak man. I don't believe that's the case here. I don't believe that Barak was a weak man. I believe he was a good leader, but I believe Deborah was better. And I believe Barak was saying, I, I trust you, Deborah. I, I, I trust the faith you possess. I don't have it. I don't have that kind of faith, but I trust you and I'm leaning on your faith. I'm trusting in you to get us through this. So what was Barak able to accomplish because he was dependent on the faith of Deborah? Well, we read about it in verses 14 through 16. It says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoim and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. And we learn in the next chapter how he defeated Sisera and these 900 chariots. Like how in the world did these men overcome these iron tanks? Well, God caused an incredible rain. And those chariots were rendered useless. It was the dry season, and God caused a flood to happen in this Kenosh River, and these mighty chariots, these mighty tanks were rendered useless, and Sisera was overtaken by this Israel army. God provided the victory for Barak's army. But he was completely dependent upon the faith-filled vision of Deborah, and God used it. To Israel's advantage and we can learn some important spiritual principles and I want you to lean into this one We have a deficiency when we have a deficiency of faith We may need to depend on the faith of others Like this happens all the time when we have a, a, a Deficiency of faith we may need to depend on the faith of others 
We've all got to have individuals in our lives that we can depend on when we lack the faith. So a question for you this morning, who is that person in your life? When things are tough, when things aren't going well, when you're not so sure how you're going to make it, who do you go have coffee with and say, hey, I need some of your faith. I need you to breathe into me. Who do you have? Who's there that you can lean on that's going to support you, that you can borrow some of their faith and some of their strength? For me, I'm, man, I'm inspired by the, the really committed volunteers that we have. I love before service walking around and, and kind of hugging necks and, and shaking hands of the people who are so committed, that are serving so faithfully. We've had people for seven years now since the start of our church that have been at a door every Sunday or nearly every Sunday. We've had people who've worked at the next step stand from nearly the very beginning. We've had people who've been on our setup team from the beginning who are now still helping us set up flags. These are people that I've had so many great conversations with and that I take great comfort to know that on any given day, if I was struggling, I could go lean in to borrow some of their faith. You know, we have these leadership principles as a staff and as our volunteer leadership team, our team leaders and team coordinators. We try to, try to breathe these into the team members. We've got seven of them and two of them are contagious passion and life-giving. Like there are so many great volunteers who exude this that on any given day, if I was struggling, I could go talk to one and their contagious passion would feed me. They're life-giving, meaning they have this ability that they can just kind of sense when things aren't going right and they just breathe life into you. They just, they just say the right things at the right time and you're like, you exude this leadership principle. Thank God for you. Your faith strengthens my faith. And so I, I love this. Our faith is always greater than my faith. Did you hear that? Our faith is always greater than my faith. So who can you depend on? Like, I hope there's a person. Who can you depend on? So we saw the first ingredient was a faith-filled vision of Deborah. The second is the trusting dependence on Barak. He leaned on Deborah's faith. And for the third ingredient in the recipe for spiritual victory, I need to introduce you to the last individual because we need the courageous obedience of J.L., Remember that Deborah said the honor would go to a woman. I remember when I first read it, I assumed it would be who? I assumed it would be her. He wasn't talking about her. He was talking about J.L. Here it is in 4, 17 through 21. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. J.L., went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my Lord, come, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. He said, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. And then he says, stand in the doorway of the tent. If someone comes by and asks you, is, is anyone in there? Say no. But J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I don't think we needed those last three words, do you? Pretty sure we all got, and he died. That's a heck of a way to go. Can you imagine being stuck to the ground with a tent peg? 
Well, Sisera was a wanted man. He was a bad guy. He would have been on Israel's most wanted list. And I can't help but think that Deborah had somehow inspired not only all these men and women, but inspired J.L. And I think perhaps maybe she responded the way she did because she had heard stories of people like Ehud, the left-handed, the southpaw savior who had jammed his sword into the, the belly of King Eglon. And J.L. chose to act. She seized the opportunity when it presented himself. Hey, here's the bad guy. Maybe I should do something. I'll invite him in. She killed the leader of the enemy, the guy that had been tormenting and torturing the people of Israel for so many years. She dealt a crushing defeat by killing their, their leader. She got involved. And so the lesson for us today is this. One of our greatest regrets, one of our greatest regrets in life may be doing nothing when we had the opportunity to act. Like that, 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 that may sting 25 years from now if that stays true. Like one of our greatest regrets in life may be doing nothing when we had an opportunity to act. See, something triggered in the, the mind of J.L. When, when Sisera showed up in her tent, she was obedient and God brought victory to the people of Israel. She didn't stand by and watch. She didn't let them go by. She didn't decide to, to not do something. There was no hesitation, which again reminds me of another truth. There's no room on the spiritual playing field for spectators. Like there's no room on the spiritual playing field for spectators. We have to get plugged in. We all have to get involved. And you may be sitting there saying, Ryan, I don't have anything to offer. Like, what, who, like you don't know me. I don't have anything to offer. Well, I didn't have anything to offer either. I remember 20-some years ago when my wife and I first came to Christ, we were dating. I didn't have any Bible knowledge at all. Like, I didn't have anything to offer. Her and I would kind of like read the Bible stories the night before we'd gotten asked to, to serve in the, the children's area, and we're like, you sure? <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would read up and, and, and study, and then we would show up having been changed and, and moved by that teaching ourselves, and then we would come and teach. I didn't have any technical skills. I, I didn't even know what devotions were. I remember people, you know, at church, people stand around and maybe like, hey, how's your devotions going? I'm like, uh, what, what is that? I, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't have anything to offer. All I did have to offer, because I learned you were supposed to serve. I heard if you'll serve, you'll grow in your faith, and boy, has that been true. The only thing I had to offer was my past mistakes. And if you've heard my story, there was a lot of them. That's all I had to offer. And so when her and I got involved in children's ministry and then youth ministry, all we wanted to do was to help other young people not make the same mistakes we did. And God equipped us along the way. Well, JL, all she had was a tent peg and a hammer. Remember, she was a Kenite, which was a nomadic tribe. Basically, they would travel all over. And what did they have to be good at? setting up and tearing down their stuff, setting up and tearing down their tents. So she knew how to use a tent peg and a hammer. That's what she had. She was familiar, and she decided to use it. And sometimes that's all we have. We have a tent peg and hammer. In my case, all we had was our past mistakes. God will use it. And God can use the gifts that you have. Maybe it's just some past mistakes, and God can use them to bring some spiritual victory to yourselves and maybe to someone else. I sat down and talked this week with a gal who'd lost her two sons in the last 12 years. Both of them have died. And she said, no one will ever call me mom again. She was broken. She's like, I'm just hoping God can use me through this. 
And I brought some reassurance to say, yes, he will. And yes, he can. And she's thinking, I don't have anything. And I said, oh, you do. You have a story that as you get through it, as God leads you through it, you'll be able to use it to help people. Her tent peg and hammer were painful ones no one in this room would ever want. But I promise you, God will use it and will help her to help some people. Well, I, I love winning. Ask my son, maybe an elbow or two in a game or two to you know, make sure that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him on something. I'm still faster than him. Not much longer, I'm guessing. Uh, but Serena Williams is one of the, the most winning or the winningest professional tennis player of all time. She has 722 uh, career uh, titles. 72 career titles. Let me say that right. 39 of them are grand slams. 39 of them are grand slams. I mean, she is unbelievable in tennis, right? 788 dubs. I mean, she wins like crazy. She knows what it feels like. Now, after winning her seventh grand slam, her seventh tennis title, Serena said this. She said, victory is very, very sweet. It's, it tastes better than any dessert I've ever had. Now, I don't know if she's had the heated up carrot cake at Jay Alexander's or the carrot cake at Jack Stack because it's really tough to beat those, but victory is sweet. Victory is really sweet, and I, I want to let you know that you can begin to experience some spiritual victories. If you have this faith-filled vision from God, if you have this trusting dependence on other men and women or, or on God himself, or if you have courageous obedience when you have an opportunity to serve, you're going you're gonna to be able to taste this sweet taste of spiritual victory. Well, Judges chapter 5 is a victory song of Deborah. In the song of Deborah, it's like, it's like a, a rendition of Queens, We Are the Champions. It's like, I could just hear the, the music mounting, and no doubt they were blowing the shafar. And there was, I mean, you could just feel the energy burning as they, uh, as they were singing this song. But when you read the, the song of Deborah, you'll discover that when we experience supernatural victories, worship should be our natural response. And they had just... They had just experienced this amazing spiritual victory, and they worshiped. And what inspired Deborah and Barak to break out in song? It was when people were willing to serve. You see, we worship because people serve. About seven years ago, this month actually, I had an opportunity to go on a short road trip with a guy that I'd just met and a friend of mine named Robbie and another friend of ours named Tim. And Robbie likes to work out, and, and uh, this was back before his CrossFit days, and he was doing powerlifting, and, and we'd become friends. I started working out in his basement, and I said, hey, I, he was doing these weightlifting competitions. I said, hey, I want to go watch you. He said, no, you can't watch me. I was kind of taken back a little bit, like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> I said, no, I want to go. I want to go watch you. I, I, love, I love weights. I've been lifting, you know, since I was 12. I know it doesn't show, but I've been lifting weights and I said, I want to go. And he said, only if you compete. <laughs> I thought, really, right, yeah, right. So he entered me into the competition, and all four of us went up there. We may or may not have had to wear a singlet. And uh, we competed in this weightlifting competition. But on the way back, we got into this spiritual conversation with my friend Luis. And he hadn't grown up in, uh, in church a lot 
or maybe a, a church experience where it was teaching him about salvation. And so he had a lot of questions. And we spent 45 minutes on the way back from Iowa talking about faith. And the next day, uh, he came to Journey. This was July 10th, 2011. It was when we were still doing like these monthlies. I actually wasn't a part of Journey yet, but I was aware of it. And I wasn't there that day, but Luis gave his life to Christ that day. And he was the very first person to make a spiritual decision at Journey Church International. Fast forward a couple of years, and I knew that Luis played the guitar. But I didn't know that he'd been kind of working with the worship team. And I showed up at church, and worship started, and I looked up here. Wasn't here, it was at the school. But I looked up at the stage, and there was my friend Luis, worshiping, serving with what he had to give. And my worship that day was it was over the top. When I saw him serving, my worship expanded. This morning I had that same experience, and I've had it several times now because it's not my daughter's first rodeo, but this morning my daughter standing here was worshiping and serving with her tent peg and hammer. I'd like to have hers because she can sing. But my worship was over the top as I looked and saw my daughter helping lead worship this morning. See, in Judges chapter 5, Deborah worshipped because the people served. Here it is. It says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. My heart is with Israel's princes when the willing volunteers among the people praise the Lord. See, we worship because people serve. Now, the song of Deborah not only mentions the people that serve, but unfortunately it lists the people who didn't. Five... Seven, the villagers would not fight. 5.16, Reuben stayed among the sheep pens. 5.17, Gilead stayed beyond, beyond the Jordan. 5.17, Dan lingered by the ships. 5.17, Asher stayed in the coves. 5.23, Miraz did not help the people of God. She gave a list of those who didn't serve and who didn't stand up with the nation when they needed them the most. They wouldn't stand up. They wouldn't be there. I don't want to be on that list, and I don't, believe you do. I don't believe you do either. Remember, one of our greatest regrets in life may be doing nothing when we've had an opportunity to act. And so what else inspired Deborah to break out in song? It's when God moved. When God moved, it caused them to break out in song, and I believe we worship right? We worship when God moves. The World Cup is going on right now, and the whole world's going crazy watching the World Cup. Unfortunately, the U.S. is not there, so it's a little harder to tune in, but the World Cup is still this amazing global phenomenon. And I don't know if you tuned in the other day, but Mexico delivered a crushing defeat of Germany, and they beat them, and that place went out of their mind when they beat Germany. And I don't say that lightly. In fact, what happened is when Lozano scored that goal and the people started to erupt and went crazy because they beat him, it registered on the Richter scale. 
They literally had artificial earthquakes because of the celebration. The worship was so off the charts. The ground literally moved. I read a couple of articles about it. The ground literally moved when the people went crazy. 3,500 years ago, the ground moved in Canaan, and there was an earthquake. Judges 5, 4, and 5. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook. The heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. I believe that when people serve, when people serve, God moves. You see, there's no room on the playing field for spectators. Let me ask you, are you serving? If not, I want to challenge you to get in the game, and I want to challenge you to take out this card, because I have found when people are serving, they begin to grow spiritually. And when people begin to serve, they discover their purpose. Just by starting to serve somewhere, they begin to find their purpose. And when people begin to serve, they experience spiritual victories. So what I encourage you inside your bulletin, every one of you, there's a card that looks just like this. If you're following along on the JCI app, you'll see at the bottom, there's a little place to click and you can sign up. There's so many great places that you can sign up to serve. And I would, I would love to have every single person do this. Now, I will tell you this. As a church at our Get Connected gathering, we'll tell people, sometimes it's time to heal. And you can take a break. And sometimes you've served so much at your, pla- your past place that you're here, it's okay to take a break. But if you've taken a break a little while, it's time to get back in the game. If you're there and you don't think you have anything to offer, maybe you're like me, you just have some bad past experiences, we can use you. God can use you. I want to encourage you to take this card, and on your way out, I want to encourage you to drop it in the box. I want to encourage you to take it to the Next Steps team. Bring it to me. I would love to help follow up with you so that you can be a part of being used by God because when people serve, God moves. Well, all of the judges point us to a better judge, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is the better judge, and he gives us victory. But first, we have to follow his inspirational leadership, right? We have, to, we have to follow the vision that God has for our life, which means we have to be in tune with what he wants. And we have to, we have to put our trust and our dependence on him. And we have, to demonstrate that that, we have to demonstrate that trust through obedience, right? God's placing things on your life. You have to be obedient to what you feel like he's moving you to do. Israel trusted Deborah. We trust Jesus. And Jesus is the better Deborah. Just as Deborah led the nation of Israel to a convincing victory over the enemy, right? Deborah led this nation to this convincing victory over the enemy. Jesus' death on the cross gave us victory over death. And Jesus, uh, just as Deborah partnered with Barak in battle, we can trust that Jesus will always be with us. He'll always be at our side. And just as Deborah inspired Barak and Jael to respond in obedience, Jesus inspires us to remain obedient to him. Would you pray with me?